as a brand, it's it's really important to be willing to share your experiences and share what's successful uh, and what's not successful and be really open about that. And that's been a big guiding factor in how we've chosen to do business. Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani and I'm your host, Vidya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and purposes. A mindful business adopts, employs sustainable social, economic and environmental practices. We have with us Tony Peel and Caroline Fisher, co-founders of Swahili Coast. Welcome to both of you on Mindful Businesses. Hi, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Well, tell me something about your product. What do you sell? What do you make? Tell me something about your brand. So our brand is Swahili Coast. Swahili Coast specializes in beadwork sandals and accessories out of Tanzania in East Africa. We are the partner organization with a worker-owned co-op in Tanzania. And so we act as their marketing arm in the U.S. How did you land up in Tanzania? And my geography about Africa is pretty rusty. So I'm assuming that there is a coast, uh, Swahili, which is part of Tanzania. Right. Yeah. You're you're fine. Don't worry. That's actually a really common question that we get. And it's an opportunity that we always see to explain our story and tell the story of East Africa. So we're in East Africa. That's where we, we do business. Uh, we're in coastal Tanzania. Swahili Coast as a term is a geographic term. It refers to the part of East Africa where people speak Swahili as their first language. And so that encompasses southern Somalia, coastal Kenya, coastal Tanzania, and northern Mozambique. Recently, Swahili has become like a really popular language in East Africa. It was like a big part of like the nationalist projects of Kenya and Tanzania. And so it's a big part of East African identity. So we started this project while we were actually living in Tanzania. I actually got a research grant uh, to go through the U.S. government and, uh, after college. And so Caroline was then my college girlfriend, now wife. We moved uh, to Tanzania in 2013 to run an economic study with the University of Dar es Salaam, which is like the big coastal university uh, in coastal Tanzania. And it was a really profound experience. We had a really good experience living over there. And we had a we were at a juncture where we could either work professionally in the development world or do something on our own. And we had a really good look at what it looks like to work in the world of like economic development in East Africa and still have a lot of respect for the folks that work in that field, but we wanted to do something a little bit different. So we decided to start our own company to work uh, directly with folks in Tanzania on something they do well and help them try to promote their product in the U.S., And East Africa has a lot of really incredible, Mm -hmm. rich traditions of beadworking. They come from a lot of different regions in Tanzania. And one of the big outgrowths of those beadwork traditions is the the beaded sandal industry. Beaded sandals are a big part of fashion in East Africa. If you're in the cities, you'll see ladies wear them as part of fashion. And there's already a really exciting tradition that grew out of those older beadwork traditions. And so we thought there was a lot of potential in working with folks to help market that sandal in the U.S. And so we incorporated in uh, 2014 to tell that story and start marketing in the U.S. Where did you both grow up? And it must have been a big change to go to another country. And do you either of you speak the language? 
Yes. So Tony is a very proficient Swahili speaker. We both grew up in North Carolina and we're actually based in Wilmington, North Carolina. But we both grew up in the South and Tony studied abroad in Tanzania in college and just fell in love, kept getting opportunities to go back and learn Swahili. And it all just went from there. What were the challenges that you faced in sourcing? It couldn't have been very easy. It's a pretty big country, right, Tanzania? Yeah, Tanzania is a really big country. So when we were doing sourcing, we had a couple of of different ideas when we were first starting out. We didn't have a ton of capital. We were just, you know, folks coming off of like a a government research Mm -hmm. grant. So it wasn't like we could just jump in and like buy a factory, right? That wasn't really in the cards. And so what we did was we focused really hard on design. We designed sandals that worked within the folks uh, that we were producing with skill set, but that we could market in the US. And we met with a few producers in the region to find someone that could produce sandals for us. And uh, our first partner producer uh, is someone that we're still close with but is a like mid-sized like sandal factory that's owned by a family that of folks in Dar es Salaam. And that was a partnership we had for about two years. Uh, we wanted to do business with them well. And so what we did was we developed our relationships directly with the workers and we were able to like monitor working conditions and we developed like a bonus structure so that folks that were making our sandals like got like a significant hefty bonus that was equivalent to about one and a half times the normal wage that they would normally receive just for making local sandals. And that relationship went well. We had a good, good run with them, but ultimately we found that there were some challenges in working within a group that was managed very heavily top from the top down. There was some challenges in that some of our bonuses weren't always making it de- directly to the workers. And so we shifted things up and we were paying money directly to the workers. And then suddenly the bonuses paid directly to the workers created a little bit too much tension between the uh, management and the workers themselves. And so we didn't feel like we could guarantee that our continued presence working with them was going to be like a positive one in the long term. And so what we did was we organized a group of the Mm -hmm. folks that were working there in the sandal factory. And we basically just made a guarantee to them that we would help cover the cost of them starting their own workshop that would be 100% worker-owned and 100% worker-managed. And at that point, we'd actually sold enough sandals to where we had some capital to throw at that, that group. And so that's what we did. That We started that, helped start that group in 2015, and we've been working with them ever since. Do you own that facility or they own it, but you guarantee a minimum? We have no ownership stake and they have no obligation to work with us. So the entire relationship is built around continued success of us marketing their products in the U.S. So if, for example, they want to negotiate with us for wages or for prices for materials or whatnot, they can do that in good faith and and they can refuse our orders. And that was something that a relationship that we set up because we had a lot of leverage there. Like we had the capital, we had the money, but we believe in this idea that like worker-owned production is the future of ethical manufacturing. And so we thought that was the right thing to do. And we've stuck by that. How long does it take to make a pair of slippers? The beadwork is all hand uh, made, of course. How long does it take to make a pair? Or, you know, in a month, how much would you be able to make approximately? Yeah. So the 
Sandals range very heavily depending on the style. Some of our really simple styles can be done in about 30 minutes. The beadworking is, is very quick. And uh, some of the pairs take about eight hours and the pricing reflects that. The last audit we did, we were reviewing numbers and the base level folks that are working in the co-op are making about the same level of income as the factory managers, like the floor managers at the sandal factory down the street. And the top end folks are making more than we were paying our lawyer in Tanzania when we incorporated. In your case, it seems that you are making a deliberate attempt to provide fair wage, fair treatment, to be able to negotiate the business. Though you are technically probably buying bulk of their products, you could be in a commanding position. But you, from what I hear, you believe in the fair wage and the fair treatment of your artisans. Absolutely. There's certainly, I mean, we're not pretending like there isn't a certain amount of leverage just by virtue of the fact that we are a large customer for them. But it has been exciting to see as we've been able to grow the business in the U.S. We were originally only buying about 30% of their output, I think. That's probably about right. And now we're buying close to 80% of their output. And we still pay a premium for all of our products versus what their customers uh, regionally in East Africa are willing to pay. So during that time, you know, we've really seen a lot of wage growth within the co-op, which is exciting. And it also means that the co-op has been able to grow significantly. So rather than folks continue to just work more and more, a lot of what folks have encouraged is their family members and friends in the neighborhood to get involved and learn this skill. And so when the co-op started, it was about 15 people and now it's 34. So it's growing really quickly, which is exciting to see. And if I could also just speak to your your question, I also think a big motivating factor in why we chose to do this product is that we hear a lot from brands that ethical business is the future. We hear from folks that say you can change the world with the money that you spend on your clothes or your shoes. And I hear those claims and I feel good about myself, but I also have somewhat of inherent skepticism about some of those claims. And so a big part of this project is for us and for our motivations is, is that we don't have all the answers and we don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. And that was, we were really open to hearing from folks about, you know, their experience working in the sandal factory. And that's part of why we, we reorganized and helped start the co-op. I think that as a brand, it's, it's really important to be willing to share your experiences and share what's successful uh, and what's not successful and be really open about that. And that's been a big guiding factor in, how we've chosen to do business. So how do you monitor uh, the quality? And most of your designs are repeated. So since it's handmade, do you fly often? Do you have a person there? Do you have like a foreman? Yeah, we do have a full-time production manager in Tanzania that works with us specifically to facilitate our orders, do some quality control, do all of our exporting and inventorying of inputs that we purchase specifically for our products. But yes, we are over there quite a bit. I'll be there on Friday. 
So we do go a lot. We also have a direct line. We bought a, a cell phone with WhatsApp that goes directly to the co-op members. And so everyone has access to that phone. And so we have a paper accounting system where everyone signs off on their wages that they're received at the end of every week. And then at the end of every month, we do a, a final accounting. And so if something's off with accounting, uh, inevitably, whenever you're transferring large sums of money to like a production manager, you want to be able to verify that that's going straight to the folks. But we have everyone's signatures signing off that they're receiving that money. And the other thing we just launched, and I don't know that you would have seen this yet, but we launched a program in our retail stores. We have two of our own retail stores that just sell our brand. And we launched a program six weeks ago where folks can, uh, after they buy a bracelet or buy a pair of sandals, they can leave a tip that's directly sent to the artisans. And so we have uh, now just today, we transferred our first box of, of cash straight to the co-op. That's just a bonus, uh, not for any work or wages may earned. It's just a bonus for work that's already been completed that the co-op splitting evenly. And so folks are signing off on that they're receiving their share of that too. Wow. So how is the banking system? I know in rural India and some other countries, it's not everybody has a bank account. So, you know, the, is that true in Tanzania too and amongst your Yeah, the banking system in Tanzania, the formal banking system is very cumbersome. And so we we actually don't really use it. Most everyone in the co-op has a a number through Vodacom, which has like uh, like their cell phone number. And uh, everyone has like a mobile bank account that's just attached to their phone number. And so that actually makes it really easy to transfer money. And we just deposit money straight into those accounts through our U.S. bank account. Um, and whenever we're doing like really big capital expenditures, like we're buying like runs of leather or rubber or other inputs like that, we just do bank transfers straight into producer bank accounts because it becomes inefficient to transfer like big volumes of money through like the mobile banking. Uh, the basic things that we take for granted here, like wire transferring, writing a check or, you know, direct deposit to employees here. You have to be creative. You have to come up with what is available locally in that economy and work with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's changed so much even since we started the company. When we were first working, we were having to do... um, We started the company in 2014. And when we first started, we were having to do pretty massive bank transfers to trusted individuals in Tanzania who would then section off the money as necessary. And when we needed to do smaller transfers, we would have to send money via Western Union. And then a couple of years later, there was a money app, kind of like a Venmo type app that now opened just in East Africa specifically to service these accounts for Vodacom. And it's called Wave and it's made our lives so much easier. And it's such a great way to be able to control where that money is sent and how quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Tony, do you want to add something? Yeah. Accounting is another good example. We don't have anyone in the co-op who's ever used a computer. And pretty much everyone has the equivalent of like in the U.S. system has the equivalent of like a middle school education with some high school. And we have one person in the co-op who's graduated high school. And so accounting has to look really different there. But it's also really important because part of being a co-op is that everyone has to have a good idea of how much money is coming in and how much money is coming out. And so while we were over there, we invented like a paper accounting system that just works on old fashioned spreadsheets, but it works really well. And it's not fancy, but hey, it works. And you just got to figure those things out. 
so what would you say is a living wage in uh, Tanzania uh, compared to the US what in, in terms of dollars yeah so it's a hard number to really pin on so just to give some like background context for like what the income level in Tanzania is most Tanzanians live on the equivalent of i think the last number was like 900 US dollars i think that's the, the latest gdp number but i studied economics so i'm going to get a little nerdy here for a second the 900 figure is for gdp per capita and tanzania has not insignificant amount of industry in mining in gas in tourism and so that number is actually skews pretty heavily towards the right side of the curve there meaning that most i would say like 80% of Tanzanians are living on the equivalent of 900 US dollars per year or less and that's like their their like nominal like income so like that's like how many US dollars equivalent they would transact with over the course of a year in terms of goods and services and what that life would look like if you lived in the US because you have to account for things like the price of like a meal is different the price of a house is different the last i i checked the difference was that we were at about like 2.7 was the purchase purchasing power for parity figure so it would be like living in the US on like $3000 a year so that's what like the majority of Tanzanians are living on the folks that work in the co-op are earning like far above that i would put their income right around 10 or $12000 a year equivalent in the US which isn't what you know that's not going to turn a lot of heads for folks you know if you tell most people that like 10,000 bucks a year is is a good income it's like that's a hard sell you know but i think it's really important to remember it in the context of it's a lot of very imperfect situations that you have to like choose between mm-hmm. and uh even though that's like not as good as what we would hope for 5 years from now it is something that still is extremely meaningful and impactful for people's lives because they're living a standard of living that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to live the point to note is that 10000 dollars equivalent they have way above poverty line in tanzania Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everyone has smartphones that we're working with. Everyone is their kids are all in school. They're getting their hair done. They're going to the movies. I mean, right. they're doing well. Right, right. And and that's what I was trying to say. So the impact that you will have now will be seen a generation from now, you know. Oh, absolutely. So, so you may not be able to see it right now. You'll be able to see in the next generation which like you said, they'll be going to school and then they'll be able to maybe work on the computers which comes to my next question how do you communicate the designs caroline do you do most of the design yes yes so i do the design end of things and we have a system we worked out so every design that we come up with be it sandals or bracelets comes with a production guide that we put together here in the US and I build all of our shoe designs on a last just like shoemakers have done for centuries and make templates for all of our elements of the shoes for all of the uppers and I also do beadwork diagrams where I draw out specifically what the beadwork will look like the colors all of the patterning and and that is sent in one of two ways uh we try to be in Tanzania whenever we're doing a lot of new samples but that's not always possible and so we will send 
production guides via email or um, via WhatsApp sometimes. And those are just scanned in. And the challenge with that is if we do have to do this and I'm having to scan in templates, we'll have to put a scale on the pictures so that they can take them to the printer to have them printed out and then measure it to make sure that all of it's to scale. So we really try our best to be there so that we can take those production guides and deliver them in person. I have tried one of your shoes, uh, sandals rather, and they are really comfortable. So how do you work on the comfort factor? Do you have training in uh, shoe making, pattern making? Well, we put a lot of effort into that early on. So the short answer is no. And our shoes are very different now than they were five years ago when we first started. When we were living in Tanzania and we saw beaded leather sandals, I bought a few pairs and tried them on. And I thought, wow, these are so beautiful, but they're they're terribly uncomfortable. And uh, part of the reason for that is women in Tanzania are barefoot a lot of the time and have very strong feet. And they're not bothered if there's a lump under the sole of the shoe. And American feet certainly are. And so we had to innovate a few practices as far as the shoe construction goes to eliminate the lumps in the sole, to smooth everything out. And also we had to invest in shoe lasts that were specifically for based on American shoe sizes, because folks in the West do have some difference in the shape of the foot. But we also have invested in our product construction as far as differentiating ourselves from other shoes being made in East Africa in that we add a foam midsole and a natural rubber outsole that makes for just a much more comfortable shoe right off the rack rather than Uh, having to wait for it to break in, which is the case with a lot of shoes that are made in the region. You added more products. I see you have Kenyan towels. Uh, Why the towels? Is it like all beach attire, the sandal, the jewelry? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So what's special about these towels? Well, the towels are a really cool product. We wanted to build out our line so that we could expand the scale that we're operating. Anytime you're growing your business, you want to figure out if you can add something that can bring on more customers. And our products have a really coastal vibe and the towels really cement that. The towels are a really cool sarong that you'll see that's a very cool piece that's common in in coastal Tanzania and Kenya. Uh, It's called a kikoi Mm -hmm. is the Swahili word. And we work with a really cool producer in Nairobi to take the woven part and then sew on on a 100% cotton terry beach towel. And then we put a little pocket on the corner. And uh, that's like not something we came up with as a design product. It's like a pretty common coastal like accessory uh, that folks sell in East Africa. And they're actually pretty common in resort markets in Europe. But we wanted to add something to bulk out our line. And we found a really cool producer through some of my contacts at USAID because that's I had some folks there that, that linked us up and um, we work with a cool group in Nairobi to do those. Mm-hmm. I like the colors that they offer. They match with the sandals in some way, like the turquoise beads match with the turquoise towels. And yeah. Yes, they're very popular. <laughs> Could you please tell me what makes Swahili Coast mindful, just in a sentence, if you had to just summarize what you do? Um work with artisans, you give them a fair wage. If you had to just describe in one sentence, what would it be? Absolutely. It would be that Swahili Coast prioritizes workers' rights and workers' ownership of their product and the business that they are part of. 
over everything else. And I'd also say that we really value transparency in a way that is critical as far as building trust and strong relationships between artisans and consumers in the U.S. Thank you so much, Tony and Caroline, for coming on Mindful Businesses. If you're a creator or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send a message on our Facebook or Instagram page. We recorded this podcast at Q106.7 in Lafayette, Indiana. Music for this podcast is composed by Tatum Gale. This is Vidya Iyer for Mindful Businesses.